Welcome to this Alliance Live podcast. It is a particularly special one, marking Self-Management Week and Challenge Poverty Week, both taking place from the 7th to the 13th of October 2019. The conversation in this podcast highlights the findings of a recent report by the Glasgow Centre for Population Health, or GCPH. This centred around the impact money advice workers based in nine GP surgeries within some of the most disadvantaged areas in Glasgow were having on the lives of many individuals who lived there. My name's Louise Rogers. I'm a development officer in the self-management team at the Health and Social Care Alliance Scotland. Um, my role is spread between the self-management network and the self-management fund, so hopefully I've got a good over- overarching knowledge of self-management as a concept um, and how that might make a difference for people. My name's James Egan. I'm a public health programme manager at the Glasgow Centre of uh, Population Health, uh, known as GCPH. Uh, GCPH was set up in 2004 to help local partners tackle some of the challenge and health inequalities that the city is facing right now. Hi, my name is Robert Hanna. I'm a money advisor with GMAP Scotland. I've been providing the money advice services within the GP practices within the DPEN project. Hello, my name is Gillian Dames. I'm a GP working in Parkhead Health Centre in the East End of Glasgow. i um, been delighted to have a Robert as our embedded financial advice worker as part of the Deep End pilot. It might be worthwhile just come back a bit just to give you some context as to how we've arrived here today for this conversation. Um, the Deep End GP project, uh, most people won't be familiar with it, but it's a project involving the hundreds of uh, GP practices across Scotland working with the most deprived populations in, in the country and sadly 80 of the 100 practices or around about 80 are within Glasgow City um, and the Deep End GP project has been producing a lot of uh, interesting publications looking at how to tackle quite complex health problems uh, facing Glasgow and, and Scotland. And in, I think it was 2012, 2013, they started to look at austerity and welfare reform, some of the welfare changes that were taking place across the country. On the back of that, there was a group of us came together late 2012, early 2013, and that was uh, myself, Professor Graham Watt, who's based at the University of Glasgow and supports the Deep NGP project. He's been quite an instrumental figure some local GPs involved with the project and the Director of Public Health for Greater Glasgow and Clyde. And the main thing I wanted to look at was how can we find new ways of developing partnerships within Glasgow City that would allow welfare money advice workers and primary care, particularly DPN GP practices, come together and address some of these welfare challenges that were being presented within GP surgeries. Um, so on the back of that, we had a series of events. I um, invited a lot of partner agencies uh, uh, across the city and beyond to come to two events actually. That included housing, money advice, uh, health and social care partnership workers, um, and the Glasgow Centre for Population Health. That led to a series of outputs being developed over the last three or four years. Um, and there's two that stand, stand out. Uh, one in particular was we decided to test out what would happen if we placed too many advice workers in um, two GP practices in North East Glasgow and Parkhead. And Gillian will come on and talk about that later on with Robert. 
There was an evaluation of these two practices in 2017 by a former colleague, Jamie Sinclair, and some of the outcomes were incredible, quite positive in terms of the, uh, particularly the financial outcomes for groups of people that, if I was to sum up, were living in very, very difficult circumstances financially, way below the poverty line, and through this partnership they uh, received support to get access to uh, benefits, particularly disability benefits, which had quite an important uh, financial impact on their household arrangements, which we'll hear more about later on. Uh, and often, I, th I think possibly more than two or three of these people had never been in touch with money advice, had no idea they were entitled, not just to these dis important disability benefits, but backdated payments. And the follow following on from these two practices, we came back again and decided we wanted to look at what would happen if we scaled this up uh, across nine GP practices in Glasgow. And that's when I came in in terms of uh, publishing a report in 2019. The report that Jamie Sinclair did in 2017 and the one that I did in 2019 are available on the GCPH website. But we found very similar findings to what Jamie found in terms of people on very low income with complex health needs, disabilities that weren't accessing money, money advice that they were entitled to. And since then there's been growing interest across the city about us to look at how we could roll this out further. So there's a lot of ongoing discussions in terms of uh, uh, how this uh, different way of working between money advice, welfare advice and general practice can help people that are really struggling, uh, not just in terms of health challenges, but in terms of wider challenges such as poverty and not having access to really enough income to, to have what you call a, a, a meaningful or healthy life. Uh, so I'm just going to pause there in terms of the background to this and hope, hope that's helpful. I guess Gillian, as a, as a GP, it must, um, it must be particularly hard to have um, a patient with a chronic um, disease or illness um, sitting in your surgery um, and knowing that there must be um, impacts of their personal situation and, and it potentially poverty that's having on, on their ability to manage that. Can you give us some examples of those kind of situations that you've had in your surgery? Well, yes, I mean, obviously, due to confidentiality, it became very apparent um, that patients are sitting with multiple morbidity, maybe addiction issues, mental health distress, as well as mental health illnesses. And when you're actually talking to them, it became very apparent that an awful lot of them were sitting in poverty and financial distress. Mm -hmm. And there was almost like a hopelessness about it. It's like that was just taken on board. They were sitting like that, I'm a doctor, they're, they're sitting with that concern. Maybe they feel, felt that I couldn't do anything about it. Um, so there was this sort of, the consultation seemed to be going on two levels and we then we got Robert as an embedded financial support worker in the practice and in being able to talk to the patient about that service you were almost bringing them, we're, we're bringing the consultation in an even keel, where it's more a, you're working in partnership with the patient, we're moving forward together, you're not, it's not them and us, or I'm the service, you're the, you're the, you're the service user, it's we're in partnership here, let's see what we can do to make you feel better. And the, you built up a doctor-patient relationship, and it's almost like anecdotally, you'd think, God, that person came back, you know, they haven't been seen, they came back, um, I was able to speak to the nurse about them, I was able to chat to Robert about them, and I think it's the hierarchy of kind of what is their needs, and unless you deal with what's what's the underlying thing, if they're 
hungry or their kids are being dressed, that they're not going to be, you know, that's what's important to them at the time. And I think being able to address that and um, offer a service within the health centre, a lot of patients um, are maybe being alienated or feel there's a big barrier to accessing services. And this, Robert was part of the team, it was like, you knew his first name, the patient would come and they were seen in the health centre, just in one of the consultation rooms, no one else in the waiting room knew why he was there, and you're able to say that to the patient. You're also able to say, oh, you know what, you know what I'm like, Robert's used to speaking to folk like that, you know, it'd be fine, you don't need to, and if you want, I can have a chat with them about how you're feeling about, you know, and there was that kind of trusted relationship that is a, it's a natural trusted relationship within general practice. I think patients, mm. GGP's been around for centuries, you know, not centuries, <laughs> years, but there's always, you know, the, so that, it was almost building in that relationship to try and build, bring the patient into, make them be in in society, be in, you know, sitting at the table um, and being able to refer them to, to a trusted member of the, the team. And so, Robert, how was it? Uh, how was it feeling for you actually in in this kind of environment of actually being part of the team rather than being in like a drop-in environment in this kind of uh, service? Mm-hmm. I think being part of the team has really helped me because if there's any potential difficult or scenarios or something really complex with that patient's needs, that I was able to get maybe a heads up for the GP or have a chat with the GP um, to kind of right. This is my concerns with the client except of the patient, I should say, and get a heads up on it. So I know what way I'm going and how to take that conversation when I first meet them to start with. There's obviously been people there where the GP's been in with someone, they've been really upset about the finances, the GP's chapped the door. Any chance having a wee chat with this person and try and ease their kind of worries. So so having, having that compared to a drop-in where you've got maybe 10, 20 people sitting there, you're not focusing on the person, you're just focusing on that person's individual need for that day. So if that's a forum, it's just getting that forum done, then the next person. At least when you've got the appointments and the practice, you can focus on that issue, but, but when you're having a chat with that person, that can bring up potential other issues, which you may be able to help on. So that could be somebody saying they've got difficulties by getting in out of the bath and filling a forum in, then that could run on to a, potentially a discussion as if you had an occupational therapist assessment, or somebody saying, or I would love to try and get back to work. I don't think I'm 100% fit enough to go just now. I'm referring on to maybe an employment services and maybe like the bridging service and maybe help people who's got maybe health conditions to help them try and break down the barriers to even try and get back to work or maybe some form of volunteering. Mm-hmm. And kind of dealing with the GP with that has is, is been really good. It's, it's, it's good to see, see the person and their needs rather just what their issue is. Absolutely, I think where you're talking there is very much what self-management is as, as a concept, isn't it? It's actually seeing an individual rather than a condition, and I guess Julian, that's where it's it's a it's a move on for for the, the the role of the GP is actually actually looking at the far wider impacts or, or for for someone that could be having an impact on their health and their condition that's in their day to day life. Yeah, and you, you've we've often it's been a, it's been a two way thing. It's this corridor conversations yeah. which don't take place in corridor. It's very short conversations about, you might say, this patient's got this issue, and I say, well, I know this, but it's patient consents to um, 
to information sharing to an extent. But that very, these corridor conversations, you can cover a lot of work and ground during them and cut down on a lot of work on both sides. There's been two ways of uh, transfers of information, like you've highlighted the patients in mental distress that I maybe wasn't aware of, or a certain aspect of their care, um, which has been really useful. You're able to take that information, go off and do the letters or whatever that we, we, we then we work together on that and that is saved yeah. as a GP that has saved me a massive amount of time. Can I just add to that in terms of mental health? I mean there is evidence that not just in terms of helping people claim and welfare benefits are entitled to it, but helping with debt management is a very important mental health prevention mm-hmm. uh, strategy and it's something that we tend to overlook within mainstream health services that uh, debt can cause a lot of mental stress. So I think it was quite just that point that uh, was made about uh, the money advice worker picking up some of the mental health challenges. That's very mm-hmm. interesting actually because it's, it's the, as the times evolve, you know, the, the services evolved, I'm becoming more aware in my consultations that a lot of patients wouldn't say, it's like yourself, you don't tell your mother you're like an overdraft, you know, but patients, well, you, debt is something, there's a, it's a, it's a huge stress in people and it's something that people don't often volunteer but it's part of now my sort of wee checkpoint to have asked about that if someone's with anxiety and depression and how things go in money with any debt worries or if there are if you know if there are we have good services you're not even wanting an answer from them and the number of times folks is you have yep and i'm able to see it's funny robert if you look at his stats it's amazing what he's done with the debt management and that's something that I would never sort of before we had Robert in the practice. That wouldn't have been part of my consultation. Yeah. So you've adapted your consultation process. Yeah, it's helped me evolve. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's just having a general conversation with the patients when they're in. Just trying to make them feel comfortable, happy, whatever in that situation. And just having general conversation and just kind of asking them simple questions. Maybe with regards to debts or whatever. Or personal life and making that simple conversation that you're picking up on maybe debt issues that they never tell you before mm-hmm. or like maybe like they're a carer and they've never disclosed to anybody mm-hmm. that they're looking after their mum full time and kind of mm-hmm. referring them on or try and get them support they need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's almost like they don't know what they don't know, mm. isn't it? And it's, it, it becomes that, that ever-branching path mm-hmm. of difficult things. I just see it's part of their normal day-to-day activities. They're used to it. The stress is there. They think it's never going to go away. Yeah. Nobody's there to help them. Yeah. I mean, we've all had money worries at one point in our lives, haven't we? And the, the impact on that yeah. on ourselves is, is immense. And we then factor in then potentially multiple um, long-term conditions as well. And you're trying to manage those in the, in the best way you can. Uh, it's a, it, you can absolutely see the, the, the advantages yeah. of having service. And it's, it's, it's one of the most satisfying things professionally to see a patient coming back with that sense of I can get a bit of control here you know and, and I think it's it's a mindset that really helps in terms of um, self-management of your healthcare health problems if the bit that's bit of your life that's worrying you most you have some sense of control over that surely is going to impact in other areas that if I can control this I can then move on to this and that you see patients coming in even about employment it's like yeah. talking about finding a job and now it's like the stresses of a zero our contract, it's, that's like, it's an evolution and it's like this, it's this sense of you've, people have to feel in control or that's it's horrific if someone's not in control. It's almost like someone in a prison cell, that's mm. the ultimate thing is taking someone's dignity and someone's autonomy away 
And if someone is not feeling resourced and empowered to look after the financial side, they're not going to look after their, their health side of things. Absolutely. I think as well, when you're talking about that, that the isolation related from, from stigma can play such an extra part. Obviously, if people are they have that much more of concern about, about their, their money issues, it, it's going to have then have that knock-on effect into, into whether they're going to isolate themselves from the, the wider family or community. Um, but if we can actually reduce that as well, then we're moving on in, in the right direction. I think there's also something about how the isolation is quite evident in terms of access to services. Yeah. As I said at the outset, uh, two out of three will interpret to quite significant welfare support that they mm. weren't accessing. Mm. And I think these new partnerships changes the way we think thinking things. Just mm. the point that Julian was saying that she hadn't thought about debt before, that's yeah. an important mental health mm. equation where that's getting added to the mix. So I, I think it begs questions about how we approach self-care mm. and are we, are we being too narrow in our focus on self-care management? Are we too almost uh, uh, looking at it from just exclusively a medical lens and not thinking about these important social factors like debts, mm. like housing, like employment bodies, etc. So, yeah. yeah, and the access as well, the access thing's huge, like we had did your service we were cheap at maps sitting in the health centre yes. for years and years wasn't being used. It's like access isn't just mm. having a service, it's mm. people feeling able that. to use it mm. and, yeah. you know, and empowered to use it. Yeah. Uh, and particularly in areas of deprivation. Mm. Sort of health literacy, it's not just what the it's not just what the up to the patient, it's up to society to support. Yeah. And I think sometimes the patients just need a wee pushing the right direction to get the help and support they need. They just don't feel comfortable asking to go there. So sometimes that we referral mm -hmm. in and because it's in the practice and they see it's a trusted location for a trusted person that they, they're more willing to engage, open up and than what they would any other time. Mm -hmm. So quite a few people just fall under the radar and just mm -hmm. leave it be. Do you think Robert if his service hadn't existed these people would eventually find a way to amend a high street money by service? I, th I think eventually they probably would have at some point but that's through no choice of asking for it but needing it because obviously with welfare reform coming in the, all the changes to benefits they either they would have to because either that would have no money mm. so they would eventually find somewhere mm. but if they're going to go to the right places to get the right advice or whatever, it's a different story, to be honest with you. And I'd worry about the, if someone's in such mental distress, whether they have the capacity to do that, and that's like almost like a, an access thing. Mm -hmm. And that's there, but I can't access it, I just can't do it. I know mm -hmm. the times that you've looked, Googled something, well, find out about this, and if there's bar barriers come up, you just give up, mm -hmm. you know? And, mm -hmm. and that's someone that's in employment, maybe educated, you know? It's like if you're mental distress, you've got addiction issues, what direction are you going to turn? Because, like, when we first did the, the, the initial pilot, it was like 85% of our patients, I know it's maybe about 67 now in the wider, which is still a high number. Um, hadn't accessed the GMAP services within the building. So, okay, Apple, yeah. you know, they hadn't previously accessed money advice with it, you know, the same service that they'd accessed Robert. Where would those folk have gone? And you see people day to day in our practice that you think you're, you are really under the radar here, you know, shockingly under the radar. And it's, 
and, and that's not that's not a benefit to any of us as a as a doctor. It just drags you down. You're 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 thinking you're working. Your your kids are a feral upbringing. You're working really hard, but your patients are. You're, what are you achieving? Um, I'm sure in terms of like management, it's like if how can we sort this out? And it's like if we can fund something like that, that's. Mm-hmm. It's great for your, your professions and your, and your patients. Yeah. It's almost like taking a, a holistic, a layered approach to actually what a patient could, could need. It's, it's not just the, the health advice, it's not just support generally, it's not just reducing isolation, it's actually factoring in all those different elements that makes an impact on people's lives and they all it make a difference in different ways. It's maybe worthwhile just putting a figure to some of the challenges that Gillian is talking about in terms of uh, the levels of poverty. I mean, one of the one of the kind of measures for a single adult being in poverty is around about ten thousand pounds per annum. Some of these individuals would earn less than six thousand pounds, six thousand pounds a year. And these are these are really stark. Uh, and I think as well, I read as well that's the average amount of debt that the people could go with something like two thousand pounds. If you're then thinking about the amount of impact of their annual disposable income, that would, uh, annual income, sorry, not even disposable, it, it was it's a huge impact on people. So you can see in terms of the household level, never mind self care level, how low uh, the situation was for these individuals. And I think not just the debt management, but help with. Um, getting access to these benefits uh, in proportion to what their income is already mm. is a significant achievement. And, and I don't think we could underestimate either the, it's the signposting that's, as we'd hope that by having Robert working with our patients and more likely to engage perhaps with a link worker it's this moving on to self-care yeah. um, you're signposting I mean, in fact when we started doing it we weren't aware of really what you could do I know. and you came back to us with this laminated thing this <laughs> test of change yes. look guys <laughs> He can do all that, you know, and it's it's that it's the signposting moving on to that. I think just in, in an empowered environment, all of them working with Robert, they're more likely to move into areas where self management yeah. comes into play. It's also good as well because you've got the time to sit with the patient, so you're able to explain what this service can provide. Mm-hmm. And instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to refer you and not tell them what it's about, you've got the time to sit down. This is what they could potentially help you with mm. and give them the information that they need. Um, no, always it can be just signposting them. There's the information if you change your mind. There's the information, whatever. It's just kind of having the time to sit down and explain everything and make them feel comfortable where you're referring to and the reasons why you're doing it. Yeah. So can you give me an example where this is being delivered, the way it's, how it's so unique could actually has made, made a, a real difference? Um, well, I think, it's, I think the, the real value... The word access is it's not just physical access. As mm-hmm. I said before, we've always had these services available to us, but patients, very vulnerable patients, haven't been accessing them. Um, and I think, for example, you often get a patient who's had many adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. um, often very negative experiences with people that have been seen as in control or caregivers and maybe previous abuse, uh, mental health problems and for example you could have a patient come into you and they're very distrusting of services mm-hmm. and it doesn't take a lot to say it's taken a big, huge big deal for them to come and see you in the first place yeah. often that's been facilitated but you've, you've got hold of it this is a situation you can't lose this situation mm-hmm. um, so for example I would maybe be able to say to Robert I've, this, I've, I've been able to say to the patient I know this the, the worker 
I can have a word with them or you know this is a trusted member of our practice mm-hmm. team it's I know exactly who you're going to be seeing I'm able to say to Robert I've got this patient who's possibly in a very vulnerable position in terms of how they're going to interact or trust someone that's working in authority or someone an advice giver perhaps it'd be useful for you to give them a ring first so that they can suss out the mail for example um, or that they can hear a voice there's that human connection and then they might feel a wee bit safer so to speak to actually have a face-to-face consultation with you or you might be able to sort things out over the phone or you might be able to Involve colleagues or do such stuff, but you know it's tailor tailor that. So you that is access. Yeah. You know it's it's, it's not just some nameless, faceless kind of. It's actually a, a real person in a real set of context. So what what what's your perspective on that, Robert? I feel when people's got you when the doctor makes a referral in, they tell me the person they're going to see. Um, especially if they are vulnerable clients and I do like speak to Jillian or one of GPs and give me the heads up. This is a potential vulnerable client. I've had this happen traumatic experiences in the past, they may struggle to deal with a, a male figure. Mm-hmm. So I was maybe give the client a call, mm-hmm. just explain what I do, the, the information that Jill has made the referral and try and make them feel comfortable. Whatever. I do give them the option, depends on the subject, uh, or the past histories as if you don't feel comfortable with a male, we can always arrange it with a female. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is and give them that option. But m- most times uh, that when you speak to them on the phone, make them feel comfortable, mm-hmm. make them feel that you are that trusted person, mm-hmm. the GP has put you on to somebody who knows what they're talking about, mm-hmm. that they are there to help you and they're not going to let you down, yeah. is massive. Mm-hmm. And just getting that build up in the trust um, and getting them to come in for the first time is a big major step for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very um, protective of patients, GPs are. GPs weren't referring particularly well to the GMAP services before. If I know who I'm referring to, I'm more likely to. Like, Robert's not just Robert, Robert's Robert, he's part of the team, we know. It's breaking down the barriers on both sides, really. Definitely, yeah, Yeah. uh uh-huh, uh-huh. You're much more likely to make the referral in the first place because you know him, you know how he works, and and you trust him as well. Mm -hmm. The flip side as well is, like, access is also, I can, most of our referrals, you just put benefits there. You you don't actually have to say what the referral is about, and it's very satisfying when a patient coming back and saying, I've dealt with this, 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 and this, and you think, oh, that's... That's good. It's like it's, they've done it off, the Absolutely. service has just gone, it's gone all exponential and it's just one wee bit of referral. So it's, you know that that's expertise you could never give that patient because you just put debt or you thought it was this or It's also worth pointing out that it may be a challenge for mainstream men, uh, money advice services uh, not to have that understanding, that relationship or the skills to respond in the way that. Robert and Julian have with this particular case, mm. which is I suspect is not unique, mm-hmm. and not at a population level. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's good because we do kind of bounce off each other. Mm-hmm. If I've got a concern about somebody's health, whatever, then obviously I can chat the doctor's door. I've had somebody in that was feeling suicidal, and I was able to chat that doctor's door and said, "This person's feeling like this. this I've got concerns about this patient." And a GP taking over, yeah. mm-hmm. and even the GP. Like I had one example. I had someone that ran to see the GP and feeling feeling suicidal, but their money issues, and the doctor just chatting the door and said, yeah. "Robert, can you have a wee chat with this person?" And just reassuring them that right, we can do this, we can do that, yeah. whatever, and try and get in resolutions and yeah. help the mental health. Absolutely. And it's amazing how you can see once you start getting the issues sorted or 
get try and get them sorted or get them in place, how that patient's mental health yeah. improves massively. Both their mental health and their physical health mm-hmm. in a lot of respects mm-hmm. could it could because they've got that time to focus mm-hmm. on other things that might be able to help. It's a doing with not a doing mm-hmm. to, as we say. Mm-hmm. Big self care issues. Absolutely. Because it's funny when I was asked to do this, I was thinking it's like for um, Challenge Poverty Week, and I thought that's good. So I can see seven thousand pounds in each household mm-hmm. per patient. Um, it's efficient for every pound spent in the service. You get twenty five pound return. But it was the self management mm-hmm. week that that was really interesting for me, and that actually made me think. Wait a minute, how's the service helping in that regard? Mm-hmm. And it was really over the, over the moon because it's made me sit back and reflect yeah. on it and I think hi wait a minute is this that it's far wider reach isn't it yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. absolutely absolutely yeah. I think we've got a job to do in terms of people's understanding of self care and what that actually means absolutely mm-hmm. but it's not in isolation mm. it's in a broader context yeah. with other people absolutely it's not just about, and it's not just about yourself it's about the people around you it's family mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. colleagues it, it, all of that contributes to yeah. how we can look after ourselves in the best possible way and look after um, make our lives the best they can be mm-hmm. yeah, at the time that you feel less least empowered it's when you feel isolated mm. absolutely yeah I think that almost is a perfect ending to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Alliance Live podcast. A blog supporting this recording, produced by GCPH, will be published shortly. This will be hosted on both GCPH and the Alliance websites. Simply search the title, Tackling Poverty and Supporting People's Health. To access the report mentioned by James earlier in the podcast, head to the GCPH website www.gcph.co.uk and search money advice in the search box. And finally, a massive thank you to Robert and Gillian for sharing their experience.